You're listening to Larger Story Messages with Dr. Larry Crabb. For more teaching and resources, visit LargerStory.com. Uh, a lot of the stuff that I have been talking about has been obviously birthed inside of me, and a big part of that has been the School of Spiritual Direction. I know some of you have gone to the school, but I'll tell you what, it, it's not, it may not be around much longer. I, I know they, they're planning to continue. <laughs> well, I keep hearing conflicting things. All, my way of saying, check it out, really. It's, uh, I, I was once introduced. The worst introduction I ever had was a guy that got up to me, and I was in Memphis doing something, and he got up and he said, uh, he was a friend of mine, he was very, very kind, meant it very sincerely. He said, um, I want you all to know, I believe Dr. Crabb has a message that will only be heard after he's dead. <laughs> was mine that bad? <laughs> If you haven't explored the school, uh, I would highly encourage you to do that. It's a very intimate setting, 30 people with Larry and him talking about these things. But I think the one thing that, that I've taken away from there is how it's fleshed out and how the conversations go back and forth. And Larry actually speaks to either a couple or an individual throughout the whole week. So you really get the the feel of what we're talking about today, but you get the sense of how it actually could take place in a relationship. It is the most unique thing. I've, I've been to a lot of different schools, uh, and SSD tops the list in terms of where I've gone. So if you want to go to New Way Ministries' uh, website, Andy Son, who is the, Larry's personal director, who actually is the reason why all of personal <laughs> assistant... <laughs> That's a good way to put it. No, personal assistant of conferences and folks. My wife is back there. Great Rachel back there on the side Where's over there. Rachel? Yeah. <laughs> and my nickname for my wife is the DU, the Director of the Universe. <laughs> is this on the CD? <laughs> um, Annie has been so wonderful in getting all your names, and she's a big reason why all of you are here, are here today. So can we just give her a round? Thank you, Andy. And do check out School of Spiritual Direction on New Way Ministry head, uh, website. Yeah, thank you. Maybe I'll just add one more word about it. It's something do. I've done now 40 times. We take 30 people. And um, there's a lot of wonderful stories. I'll just mention one briefly. I know, how, how many people here have been to SSD? Major? Oh, my gracious. Boy, I didn't know that many. That's something. Well, some of you will remember the, the time um, we get applications for it, and I review all the applications, and Andy usually approves them before I accept them. Um, but um, I do review them all, and one person wrote, uh, this goes back about seven or eight years, and said, I want to come to the school in April, whenever it was, and I think I'll be out of jail by then. <laughs> and um, I picked up on that, and I actually called their home and talked to his wife, and turned out that he was a pastor who had been involved in some uh, internet uh, sex with a minor. Um, and uh, the minor young girl turned him in. And he was sentenced to, I think, six months in jail and then registered sex offender. And um, their, their daughter, and he's been public about this. I'm breaking no confidence. I'm not giving you his name, but he's been very public about this. 
um, their daughter was 17 at the time, and she was so mad at her pastor father that she went out and got herself pregnant. And um, he got out of jail in time. He had to register in Colorado as a sex offender, and he and his wife came to the school. And I always pick someone or some couple, and I asked them if I could work with them in front of the entire class. And they agreed to it. And um, we just had a, a very difficult, wonderful time. Um, and they just came back to the SSD when? Just a few months ago. Is that right? Something like that. April, yeah. Uh, so it's seven or eight years later. And uh, they're doing well. The daughter gave the baby for adoption. They're, he now leads a men's ministry. Um, and they're doing wonderfully well. And the reason is because in, a, in the school, we really work at having redemptive conversations. And I think something about the power of God got released into their lives through the community. I had a part of it, but I wasn't the only part by a long shot. So I really do believe in this stuff. And I've experienced it. Even having a breakfast with Anthony yesterday for about, we got together for about two hours almost, I think. And I left feeling very light in the right kind of sense. Uh, energized. And I don't experience energy a lot. But I left that um, time with Anthony feeling that, that way. Um, so this is uh, important stuff. Um, just just a, a comment or two that I want to open it up a little bit. But <clears throat> uh, as Anthony was talking the last um, the, the last section here, his first topic had to do with, with the importance of having some working knowledge of Scripture and, and taking the position that maybe the Bible was written um, not to answer the questions that we think God should be answering, like, what do you do about my, teen- my teenage kid right now? He's driving me nuts. Where's the verse in that? Um, I remember when I first went into practice as a psychologist, I wanted to be a biblical counselor, and I've told the story often. USSDers have heard it, I guess, but I remember this is true. happened about 35, 40 years ago, I guess. I don't know when. And my, one of my first clients in, in private practice was an anorexic young teenage girl that her parents sent to me. And um, I had had very little training in my grad program in anorexia, but I wanted to handle it biblically, so I went home that night and got out my strongest concordance, looked under A, <laughs> and didn't find anything in the Bible about anorexia. And it really annoyed me, and I thought, God, you could have written a better book. You know, why don't you have a book on how to handle eating disorders, how to handle sexual addiction, how to handle teenagers, how to handle marriages problems? And the book could have been so much more practical, God. And that got me very frustrated with the Bible, which made me realize that I was wrong. And so over the years, I think I've come to a different understanding that maybe the questions that I think God should answer maybe are not aren't the important ones. Maybe I need to discern what questions he's bothered to answer in his 66 love letters. And that's where we've come up with these seven questions that they talked about, that uh, maybe God really has in every book of the Bible is talking about one or more of these seven questions. Well, who is he, and what's he up to, and who are we, male and female image bearers, and what's going wrong, and what's the cross all about, and what's the Spirit doing now, and how do we join in the Spirit's work? Maybe that's what the Bible's about. Maybe we have to come to hear him answer what he knows is important, what he wants us to hear, rather than coming to him saying, you need to tell me this so I can make my life work. Um, so many of us, I think, come to the Bible. Let me recommend a book to you, because what I'm going to say now comes out of this book to some degree. Scott McKnight, an author that some of you are familiar with, uh, his book, The Blue Parakeet, um, which I've been told to read by many people and finally read it about six months ago. It's, it's really a good book on, he doesn't use this term, but I think it's a book on what I call a relational hermeneutic. How do you read the Bible relationally as a love letter? It was Soren Kierkegaard, who centuries ago, described the book as a the Bible as a collection of 66 love letters. I read that 20, 30 years ago. It made no impact. But then six, seven years ago, I thought about it again when I was going through the time where the book got birthed. 
and thought, I've never read the Bible like a love letter. I've read the Bible to get my doctrine straight. I've read the Bible to get my behavior performance proper. I've not read the Bible to know God and to become like Jesus. Um, So um, I think Scott McKnight's book is very helpful. And one of the arguments that he makes is that if we read the Bible with, with purely an informational hermeneutic, then the risk that we're taking is we're going to come out with a very proudly divisive attitude. I'm right, and you don't have your, you don't have your eschatology right, so we're going to have to separate. Uh, you're, you're off on this. Um, I'm, I'm in, you're out. Um, and it becomes the, the inner circle that Lewis talks about, one of the greatest dangers in the Christian life to be, you know, if you're, if you're in the in crowd, that means you have to exclude others to be on the in crowd. And I certainly believe there is an exclusivism in the sense that I want everybody to know Jesus, and some folks don't. Um, but, uh, but, but there needs to be, there needs to be a, 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 an approach to Scripture that is not simply to puff us up with knowledge. And that's an informational hermeneutic, which I think is greatly, uh, greatly problem, problematic. And another way, that as Anthony was talking about this, I jotted down the phrase that, I don't think Scott uses this phrase, but he has a lot about the idea of a pragmatic hermeneutic. Um, God, tell me what to do. My marriage is a mess, what should I do? My kid's a mess, what should I do? Um, it was Luther who said, if you want to live the Christian life, crucify the word how. Luther said that. Now, he wasn't infallible. Maybe he's wrong about this. But I think what he's saying is that when we come to the Bible saying, God, tell me what to do, we're more times than not, we're saying, tell me what to do so I can accomplish what I believe is important, so I can get what I believe life is all about. I want to tell me how, how I can behave what I should do, how I can handle the situation so my life goes the way I want it to. And we get that linear model of thinking so I can learn how to do it. And maybe, maybe there's a relational hermeneutic. And I just jotted this out uh, down as Anthony was talking. Maybe the question as we read the scriptures and, um, and listen to God answer those seven questions that Anthony talked about, maybe, maybe a central question in our minds that comes out of this day together as we read the Bible might be something like this. Who am I called to relate with in a way that reveals God and releases Christ? Who am I called to relate to? I'm not called to relate to everybody. And I've got to learn how to say no. And I've learned that over the time, and I've offended some people with that. But I need to know who I'm, who I'm called to relate to, what God has called me to, to do. And maybe as I read the Bible, I want to, I, I want to get a deeper grasp of the, the love with which I've been loved and the character of God, what he's really like and what he really is up to I don't believe he's committed to my successful surgery. I believe he's committed to my reflecting Christ in whatever situation happens. When I was in surgery 14 years ago for cancer, um, Rachel read to me from a book um, by Ruth Myers called 30, 31 Days of Praise. And um, I, I got to know Ruth. Her, her uh, son is a pastor of a church in Dillon that when we were in the mountains, we attend that particular church. And I verified this story with Brian, who's the son of Ruth Myers. Ruth Myers' first husband died in Singapore a number of years ago of a very difficult cancer battle. And when people would come to visit um, Mr. Myers, I don't know his first name, they would always go away saying, um, you, you know, you've heard these kind of sentences before, we came in to bless and encourage you, but you've encouraged us far more. And, um, and somebody said to him, how, how are you able to perichoretically pour something out of yourself into us 
in the middle of unrelieved pain and facing impending death, knowing that there's no cure apart from God's doing an unusual miracle, that you're likely going to die very soon and you're living in pain, and yet something comes out of you toward us, we, we leave more in love with Jesus because of our time with you. I don't get it. Can you explain it to me? And um, Mr. Meyer responded by saying, I think this is close to verbatim, this is my last chance to praise God while I hurt. Because heaven's coming up. And I think God's commitment to me and to you is that we have the power to reveal him in any circumstance and in any relationship. And I think that's a lot of what we're talking about today. So I urge you to think about a relational hermeneutic as you go to the text because without a growing, continually growing absorption, immersion in the scripture and God speaking to us in a very redemptive conversation to say the least, that's what's going to empower and release us to put into practice something what we've been thinking about today. The other book I might mention to you, just mentioning a few books that, um, if, if today has intrigued you, a few books that might further interest. Another book by Scott McKnight that I just was told to read recently and read it just about two weeks ago. It's called The Community of Atonement. The Community of Atonement by Scott McKnight. And he does a, just a wonderful job of, of, of taking the, the centrality of the cross and coming to grips with our varieties of understandings of what happened in those, those hours on the cross and, and, and seeing how that really can affect the way a community functions. Um, there's no better book on the cross of Christ than John Stott's by that name, The Cross of Christ. Um, and I just want to, one of my real burdens is I want to see us as Christians, now this could sound kind of, oh, divisive maybe, I don't mean it that way, I don't think, but I want to see what we as Christians can do that those without the Spirit of Christ really can't do. What is possible to us because of Jesus? What is possible to us because of the cross? What is possible to us because of the new covenant? What can we do? Non-Christians can do a lot of neat things. Uh, But what is is available to us? And I think it has something to do with the way we relate. And I think there's a way of relating. We've got to get the vision so high that it's absolutely impossible without surrender to the Spirit. And um, so I think that's one of the real importances of the conversation. I'd, I would love to know, as we're going to stop here in 20 minutes or so, I would love to know what you think as you walk out the door might linger. It was John MacArthur who some years ago said this. He has a huge church out in California, Grace Community Church, and 10,000 people, I think. And John used to say that um, he puts in 30 hours of preparation for his sermons, and he gets this, his metaphor, I get this big bucket full of water of life from God's word, and I get behind the pulpit, the 10,000 people, and all my people come in with a little thimble, they hold it up, and I pour this big bucket of water over my whole congregation, they all get a thimble full, on the way out the door, they trip on the step and spill it and go home. (laughs) And um, that's what preaching feels like to him. Um, One other thing I want to mention before I ask you what lingers, and ask you to respond to this, um, uh, uh, Richard Baxter, the old Puritan uh, pastor, um, it it said of him, uh, a quote from him was that he, a marvelous pastor, he has a book called The Reform Pastor, and and he talks about the fact that um, when he was pastoring a church, pastored a church for many years, but he said, I've been pastoring this church for 10 years, and then I, I travel through the community and I sit down and have conversations with people. He didn't use the word redemptive conversations, but he certainly, I think, would approve of the term. And he said, I realize that in my conversations with people, so little of what I've said from the pulpit has really gotten deep within them, 
And then he said this, this is Richard Baxter, more happens in a half an hour of a good conversation than so often in my preaching. And although MacArthur is obviously a very marvelous preacher, but he said to me one time, he said, I think preaching is useless unless you're preaching to a connected community. And I think that's a rather important sentence. Um, so my, my question is, we really haven't had many conversations today. We've been talking about conversations. But I want to know what, what's kind of stuck a little bit that you think you might remember tomorrow and that might be on your mind. It might actually shape some of the ways you think and the way you relate. What, what's going to linger a little bit as you walk out of this day here and we leave here in 15 minutes? Give me a couple of responses. What do you think might linger? You don't know yet, but what do you think? Yes, sir. Yeah. So the idea that when you ask a question, don't always expect, as he said, visible results, but something actually happened because of that. That's just really, really crucial. I remember I was years ago in Florida. We lived in Florida. I was doing a parent, parenting seminar to church, and I had double pneumonia for the, for the last session. And a friend of mine took me up. I was in the back seat of the car, just feeling agonizing. And I got up and gave my final talk. And it was 9 o'clock at night. I couldn't wait to get home, go to bed, take more of my penicillin, whatever I had. I got to the parking lot to get in the back seat of the car and lie down. And some woman comes out of the darkness of the parking lot, had been to the seminar. And she said, Dr. Crabb, I'm going to ask you a question. The last thing I had in mind. And she said, I'm thinking of getting a divorce. What should I do? <laughs> and what I literally said to her was, read First Peter 3 and do what it says. I got in the car and went home. Five years later, I was doing a banquet somewhere. A woman came up to me. True story, folks. Most of my stories are true. Um, this woman came up to me, and she said, remember me? And I said, I'm sorry, I don't. And she said, uh, remember the parking lot at this church in, in uh, South Florida? And I said, yeah. Remember I asked you about a divorce, and, I, and you said to me to read First Peter? And I yeah, I do remember that. And she said, I went home. I read it. God convicted me. We're happily married today. Thanks so much for your redemptive conversation. <laughs> so... I think I've learned what Anthony has said so many times today. Expertise isn't the issue. I believe in elders, not experts. And that's an important thing. So, yeah, I appreciate your comment. What else is going to be lingering as you leave today? What do you think, Tim? Um, I am just well aware of, you know, you and I know each other well. And Anthony and I know each other well. And so you guys know that this stuff means a lot really hits me deep, and I love this, and I need this, and my own ministry and everything, and stuff. The Lord was kind of telling me earlier this week, He was showing me that, like in Revelations 2, He's talking to the, what is it, Ephesus, and He says, man, you persevered, you're doing all this good stuff, and, and yet, you've lost your first love. And uh, so He told me that earlier in the week. And, uh, but Christine was gone, gone, so it's my mentally handicapped daughter and I all week. So I haven't had a chance to process it. So now today I'm processing it, and, uh, and it's interesting that uh, quite a bit of the day, um, as deeply as it's obviously hitting me now. Um, been hitting me, and uh, there's half of me that 
has been one to leave all day long. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm going up to Loveland, and music is really big with me. I'm going to see a guy up there, a blues guitarist, been excited about it for a few weeks and stuff. And so, um, part of me has just wanted to leave early and, and get out of here. Not an Anthony, and you guys understand why, but it's, it's the battle. Um, I've been able to kind of forget about battle for you know, most of the summer. And this is reminding me, oh my gosh, there's a battle going on inside of me and inside of all of us if we want to stop to take time to look at it. And it's like just staring me in the face right now. So I've been painfully refreshed by the fact that I don't want to, and I have been, but I do not want to ignore this battle that's going on inside of me of the flesh and the spirit. And uh, that's what's going on. Thank you, Tim. Huh. Tim is a close friend. We've had conversations for years together. Mutually very important. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Cindy. I don't want to sound like the Larry Kraft president of the fan club or anything here, but um, you said you'd like to see you know these things happening in the church, and sometimes things just aren't the way I expect them to look when they're happening, hmm. but I'm seeing these things happen in the church where I am. And I don't know that anybody sat down and said, you know, let's follow what he's laid out here. But we have used your book, Becoming a True Spiritual Community, in our spiritual care ministry there. And um, we have a leadership that wants to get out of God's way. And that they base a lot of it on your principles, the things you taught. This is not a church of 25, this is a church of 5,000, oh. plus or minus 1,000. And it is not, uh, it is, it's a place where you can go and be a mess, and it's acknowledged that we're mess. Our Celebrate Recovery Ministry is very in the forefront because we want everyone to acknowledge that mm -hmm. they're a mess, you know, as God leads them and enables them to sure. to come to that beauty of brokenness. So um, it's not as uh, impossible. Uh -huh. as say, well, it's, it's all impossible. It's all a God thing. And sure. he choose, he's chosen to bless us in that way. So it's all, I'm just here to say, Thank you, thank you, thank you, because it's borne tremendous fruit in my church and then Shattered Life's, Shattered Dreams has my own life personally. So. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. It's, it's, it's very gratifying to hear that God can, does this thing sometimes. He always does his things. You know, one of the verses that just, as you were talking, just was thinking about Jeremiah, I think it's 32, is it? Someplace where God is saying to his people, and they were in a big trouble at the time. And he says to them, I want you to know, I am always doing you good. What on earth does that mean? In the middle of the divorce, in the middle of cancer, in the middle of your kid who's rebellious, in the middle of financial loss, in the middle of a lightning burned down house. I'm always doing you good. We've got to understand God's definition of good. It's becoming like his son. He can't think of anything better. My father used to say that God was so in love with his son that he wrote a whole book about him. And you have that pretty clear from Luke 22 when Jesus was walking with the disciples, you know, and 
and um, said, I'm there in the Old Testament. You missed it? Let me show you myself all through the Old Testament. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yes, ma'am. Um, the way it's hitting me, you know, in Colorado especially, we need so much water. And I can push to a day and not take a drink. And when I do finally get my drink, my body says, oh, that's what you needed all oh. along. And you realize then how thirsty you were. This is reminding me how thirsty The Lord stood up and said, the last day of the great feast, anybody here thirsty? I think what he was saying is, you all are, but which one of you is aware of it? Yeah, thank you for that. That's good. One or two more. Yeah. Um, the Samaritan woman really got me thinking about looking at how Jesus has a different conversation with people. Hmm. And how he stayed and remained with her and her relational failure and her relational messiness. And hmm. that's what we're called to do as well, hmm. to remain with Absolutely true. Thank you. Yeah. Barb. There's a whole lot to this living by faith and not by sight. Yeah. One more? Yeah, in the back. Do you know? Lewis talks about in his Mere Christianity that um, the relationship between the Father and the Son is so profound that the spirit of the relationship is himself an eternal person. And his point is that you've seen married couples married for 60, 70 years, and there's just a spirit about their relationship. There's a oneness that you can feel. He said that's just a, a very tiny little finite illustration of the intensity of the Father-Son relationship, that the spirit of their relationship is himself an eternal person who proceeds from both the Father and the Son. If you want to read some books on the Trinity, I'll mention a few. Dan, and Anthony also already mentioned Experiencing the Trinity by Daryl Johnson. That's the, the, the simplest and yet very profound book. Experiencing the Trinity by Daryl Johnson. Marvelous little primer on Trinitarian theology. Um, I think Lewis has some marvelous stuff to say in Mere Christianity about Trinitarian theology. Um, 
um, oh my goodness, The Holy Trinity by uh, Lethem. Yeah, Robert Lethem. The Holy Trinity uh, by Robert Lethem. It's kind of a classical book. Packer says it's the best book ever written on the Trinity. Uh, but it's a sort of an academic textbook, but it's really worth the effort to read. And then if you really want to dig into something that's very devotional but incredibly rich, Marcus was just reminding me about this. John Owen, one of my favorite old-time theologians, 16th century Puritan, has written a book called The Communion with God, in which he has a hundred or so more pages on how to commune with the Father in a way you will not be able to commune with the Son and the Spirit, then some pages on how to relate to the Son in a way you cannot relate to the Father and the Spirit, and then thirdly, how to relate to the Spirit in a way you can't relate to the Father and the Son. And when I first read that, I thought, man, you're so proud of my league, I don't know what you're talking about. But after having read it three or four times, it's starting to make sense a little bit. So that's a really important book on, on the Trinity. Um, in the last just couple of minutes, I just want to ask you what's happening to you as a day ends. Get a, get a microphone. Oh, you got it on. Okay. Um, I feel encouraged. I, I think partly I feel first encouraged that because I battled so much this week. At, and you know the battle I was facing. I felt like I... I could easily come into a setting like this and try to make it happen. And I, I really, we prayed so much about that. And, and not that God always answers our prayers in the way that, that we expect, but I think he did. I felt released. I felt a little more released inside me. And uh, I think that's the work of God. And what was going on in you that you were aware of? Certainly it's the work of God. What was going on in you that you were aware of that maybe had something to do with a sense of being released today as opposed to feeling pressured and having to pull it off? Well, I, I think as you spoke, actually as I heard other people speak as well, I, I felt myself wanting to be more responsive to what was being said hmm. by people as opposed to, I got to get through my notes. And that just feels like a fleshing out of the whole Trinitarian way of thinking. And, and I felt a battle inside me because there was part of me that wanted to get through stuff and, and, yet, and yet at the same time, no, the Spirit only moves at a certain pace and what does it mean for me right now in this moment to, to move at His pace and not, and not get ahead of Him? That's the biggest struggle I think I face sometimes. It would have been different if you led this same seminar 10 years ago. Is that true? It would have been. How? I would have had some really good points. <laughs> As opposed to today? <laughs> but I was going to say, I would have had some really good points, but it would have fell flat. It would have, have fell flat have, within you. It would have fell flat within me, and I think it would have fell flat in, in others. I think what's developed over the last 10 years is the importance of relationality the the fact that there is life in me and there is life in you and therefore it's worth thinking about how that life gets poured in and out of each other and and I don't think I would have had I wouldn't have had the framework to think about that necessarily 10 years ago uh, nor would I have I've had the maturity uh, which yeah. I think the suffering in my in my journey I think has produced uh, the hard, the hard moments that I've had have really produced something good. Yeah, you're feeling something as you say that? Uh, a little bit, yeah. What? 
Well, I think, I think a desire for more. But I think, you know, one time you call it the unwelcomed opportunity. <laughs> so there's part of me that thinks, hmm, you know, what do I have to face yet that will produce more? And that, that feels joyful in one sense, in this sense it feels hard. What were the words that you used, Tim? Painfully? Painfully welcome or something yeah, like something that. Like that. Yeah, something like that. You know, it, I thought that... Yeah. Painfully refreshed. Yeah. And how do you take how do you take either of those pieces out of it? I don't think you can. They're both there. And I know our time is gone, so let me end with this. What uh, what if anything uh, gets provoked within you, thought wise, whatever? When I say to you, maybe the central sentence that I'm coming away with about you that you're, you're discovering your center. Yeah. I like that. Wow, that is really... That's true. It is true. It is true. And you aren't afraid to acknowledge that and to no. embrace that. No. And you embrace it without any real sense of pride. Well, I don't know. I mean... But I, embrace I, it with gratitude. I can. I can. And you're aware that the solidness that you spoke of from the fruit yeah. of redemptive conversations has to do with discovering the center that is becoming more and more solid. At least you're more aware of its solidness because the life of Christ is always solid within you. That's very true. But becoming more aware of that. And am I accurate in assuming that the, the discovery of your center to whatever degree that's happening, which I think is pretty significant, ha- has a lot to do with not the fact that you have had a number of dark nights, but the fact that you haven't run from them. But even though you've hated them, you've stuck with them and welcomed them and not tried to run from them. Is that accurate? Mm-hmm. And I, that's what I mean by calling you a man of integrity. Yeah. That is I very appreciate true. that. that Father, thank you for this day. Yeah. And um, whatever your purposes have been and will continue to be, may each of us be alert to what your spirit is doing in us and uh, that maybe we'll be able to relate a little differently now and then in a way that reveals something of the glory of God that your son has shared with us the glory of being able to reveal him in the way we relate. And Father, may we release something of what is alive within us into others and somehow find the joy of that in the middle of life that's up and life that's down with the constancy of knowing that we're yours and we're advancing your kingdom by relating well. And that one day, we're going to look back on everything and say it was worth it all. Thank you for that hope. Bless us as we leave. In Christ's name. How about a word of appreciation from my friend Anthony? And we are dismissed. Thank you all for coming. Thanks for listening to Larger Story Messages with Dr. Larry Crabb. To subscribe, visit LargerStory.com.